0: Check, 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 check. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, we're good. We're good.
1: We're good. Oh, this feels good, man. Just being a guest. just been. <laughs> Not having to set shit up. Yeah, you get to just chill. God, I had a control issue problem this, this afternoon because I'm like, <clears throat> Mo and I agreed that we were going to do this podcast and I'm like, I said this morning, I, I shoot an email to him saying, who's going to be there <laughs> recording it? <laughs> And then I didn't hear anything back in about midday. (laughs) I was going to follow up, and I'm like, this is not my podcast. I'm sure he's got it taken care of. See?
0: And Uh, that that was the problem. I'm so used to questions (laughs) like that not being my problem. (laughs) I thought to myself, I don't know. We'll figure that out when we get there. Right. No, it's my podcast. I have to figure it out. So I
1: said, Bert, you know what? This is not your thing. This is his game. Don't follow up. I'm sure he's got it taken care of. I walk in the studio. I'm like, all right, how are we going to record it? He's like, I thought you knew how. (laughs) I don't know how any of this shit works. The, the moment I didn't see Tommy, I said, oh shit, this is, this is off to a bad start. You would also think a guy that's been doing radio for as long as I've been doing, that I would have some kind of understanding of how our voices get through the microphone into people's cars. Right. I have no I mean zero clue dude
0: I have no idea how this whole thing works it's fascinating because everybody would expect for you to understand that
1: and uh-uh. no that's that you all these years you don't have a clue of how that goes well I got into radio in such a an uh untraditional way like um Most guys in my position start hosting in a small city. Then when they prove themselves, they work them way up to a medium and then a large city. Mm -hmm. And none of that happened to me. I was just co-hosting sidekicks on shows. So I never learned how to run a board really until I got to Dallas uh, when I was already into my career for like 15 years. And even then the guy, this is a true story. The guy that trained me on how to run a board, like bring your mics up, bring everybody's mic up. Was a blind dude. No, you, you, I come am on, am not baby. kidding. Kim Craddock thought that would be so funny. I will set him up <laughs> with a blind board now. So I walk in there on Saturday morning to learn how to run the board, and there's a blind dude. I'm like, this what? is a joke, right? <laughs>
0: you got to be kidding me. It was true, man. See? And this is exactly why I
1: am so glad that you are here, because we are going <laughs> to discover so many things exactly like that. See, you're going to have the same problem, though, because... It's not like you did an afternoon shift and then an evening shift and learned how mics work and levels work and all this engineering shit works. You're yeah. going to have the same problem, dude. There's At some point, you're going to be over here talking to some young blood and go, I've been doing this for 50 years and I still don't <laughs> know how the mics work. Hey, somebody, tell, somebody tell me how to turn the mic on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all
0: right. This is going to be amazing. Uh, let me give you the proper introduction First of all, welcome to In The Moment. There's a moment in everything, and everything a is a moment I talk about the comedy in it all. This is your first time. Welcome to the funniest podcast you have never heard. I'm your new hey. favorite comedian, Mo Mitch, yeah. or your money back. Shout out possible. to all my regular listeners and like my new listeners. Episode 67, Chasing this is a special moment. Oh, we got a legend in the field. I know that all that. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. No, 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 you always do this. No, get, let me give you your just due. This man is a legend. He is so humble. I don't care what he says. This is a Hall of Famer. It is not ever... Every day that you can speak to somebody who has had an
1: ongoing show for 20 plus years in this industry. Let's be honest. That's true. That is a rare space. I will give you that. Okay, thank I, you. I am proud. I'm not only proud that we've done it for a long time, but, but we've done it at a high level for a really long time. Yes. There are going to be some people that are listening that have found out about you outside the Birch show that have no idea who I am and who we are. Well, that's Together. why we're here. Yeah. They're going to know at the end of this. So tell me, who am I?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is what we are here to figure out. I am excited. I think this is going to be great. I don't know how often your listeners get to hear you in this element because so many people have listened to you for so many years. I am talking to Burt Weiss, if you don't know, ladies and
1: gentlemen, from The Bird Show. He is here, and we're going to talk. I'm excited because I never get to be on this side of the mic. Yeah. Like, I'm always the one that has to come in with the notes and be all tense. To make sure everything is running good, yep. but to be on this side and just be able to chat without the pressure for me, this is what I used to do though. So you know, I was sidekicks and co-hosts on all the other shows that I was on.
0: That I want to, I want to go through that entire journey. Yes, yeah, so I want like, you to
1: take me from the beginning. Uh, man, how far back you want to go?
0: Far back as you can remember. I mean, even even in your... When, were you even thinking of radio uh-huh. in your upbringing? Was no. it in the back of your mind? I no. mean, truly take me back, man. Take me back to just what was
1: on your mind. What were your goals before radio even existed? So when I was in high school, you know, I guess I was a junior in high school and had no idea. Like, you know, juniors, nobody knows what they want to do, right? Right. Um, and I remember taking a test... With my career counselor in high school. And when I walked out of there and I was walking back to class, it jogged something in my mind that said, Oh my God, I could be a sportscaster. Cause I love sports, mm-hmm. I love talking. What could be better than going around the country watching sports? And getting paid for it to talk about it. The best, right? Right. So that was when I was like 17 or 18. I was in high school. So that was my main focus right there. I was going to be a national sportscaster. Um, God, there's so many small details to get into. So I was just trying to get into anywhere that had a microphone. I knew I couldn't get into a TV station. I didn't even know what... Being a sportscaster looked like. I didn't know if it was going to be on radio. I didn't know if it was going to be on TV. Mm-hmm. I just needed to know. That I just needed to figure out like how to get into any studio and start making things happen. So I got a job at a country radio station in San Diego as the a researcher where I was calling people out randomly, seeing if they would listen to our radio station, and if they would. Would they like some of the songs that we are playing? And then I'd play them for them over the phone. When was this? This is in college? Fresh out of college? I'm uh, still in high school at this point. Oh, you're still in high school at this point. I'm still in high school. Okay. As soon as I figured out I want to be a sportscaster, I immediately started following that path. Immediately, man. I've always been driven that way and focused that way. Right. So I got into this radio station and I started doing that and I got fired six months later. And I'll tell you how. (laughs) So... It's a bunch of teenagers, and we're all on like this panel of phones calling out. It almost looked like a telethon, right? Yeah. So on lunch break one time, everybody leaves the office and I'm the only one in there. Now, this was the time, this is way back in the day when you used to be able to unscrew the bottom part of the phone and there was a mechanism in there, like this little round mechanism that you needed to speak into in order for others to hear you. Okay, this is
0: old, old school
1: right here. Uh Well, I thought it would be hilarious to take that mechanism out of everybody's phone. So I did that. They come back from lunch and they're starting to call, and nobody can hear them. Right. I'm like, what is going on with the phones? I'm like, I don't know. My work's fine. I, I don't know. <laughs> so they call in engineering. An engineer comes from home. He's trying to figure it out. For four or five hours, I let this joke play out and I'm laughing my ass off inside, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I finally came clean the next day, they're like, What the fuck were you doing? <laughs> And I got fired. That, did you, <laughs> what did you What did you think was going to happen here? I don't know, man. I just thought it was funny. I'm 17, 18. Oh, my God. And I remember being so scared having to go home and tell my dad that I got fired from my first job. Yep. Oh, my God. That was the worst. That is the worst. So then I started working at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, did you think it was over at that point? Um, I'm not cut out for this whole. No, I, I, I just thought I'm an asshole. But now I get paid to be an asshole Yeah. yeah. So um, I got on There was a woman at that radio station that took a liking to me She ended up at another radio station She got me hired in the same position And then um, to make a really long story short We're still in the very beginning of my career Mm -hmm. I just uh, on my breaks and stuff Used to come in studio and mock sports reports Like Padres win 2-1 to over the Reds last night Tony Gwynn hits a home run It wasn't going on the air or anything It was just me practicing right So I used to do that every single day, and then one day, the uh, jock on the air, there was big news in San Diego. The owner of the team had passed away, and this dude, rednecky dude, had no idea about sports at all, but he knew that I was going in the studio and I was mocking these sports reports, right? He's like, you want to come on the air for a couple of minutes and just tell me exactly what's going on? And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. He was ready. I was ready. Really? Yep. Wow. So I went on uh, with him for a minute or two. We had a conversation back and forth about it, and he loved it so much that at that time, the jocks really could figure out what they wanted on their show. He's like, man, that went so well. You want to come in every day and do this? I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> So I started doing uh, one sports report every afternoon. I Uh, I didn't get fired. He got fired from that job. And the guy that replaced him just happened to be listening to his show one day before he took the job. And he comes to me and he's like, how many times are you doing that sports report? It's really good. And I said, because I was doing it once a shift. So Mm -hmm. once every four hours. I said, once an hour? (laughs)
0: <laughs> he was already new <laughs> how, to, how to maneuver in the game yeah.
1: Yeah. He said yeah okay let's do that Let's do it once an hour So I started doing it once an hour with him And then Uh, I created a sports department at this country radio station. Now, there was no sports department. Country radio stations don't care about sports. But what I realized at a young age is that if I had the letterhead from the radio station Mm. and I applied to Major League Baseball and to the NFL Mm -hmm. with the letterhead and I just put the name sports director underneath my name – I could get press passes to everything. (laughs) And, dude, that's what happened, man. You're an evil genius, man. 19 years old. I'm going to Super Bowls. I'm interviewing Hall of Famers with this sports director (laughs) position. (laughs) There was no sports
0: department, man.
1: If you look like you belong, no one will question you. Dude, I lied my ass off for the first couple of years. I got in Sports Illustrated interviewing Doug Williams at the Super Bowl. I was on the front cover of the USA Today talking to John Elway. 19-year-old Spike hair on the side. This is incredible. As the sports director. There is no sports department. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to John Elway? Yeah, man. Wow. So at at that point, you realized this, this is it. I really liked it a lot, so I started doing it for about a year, and it just started to sour on me because here I am again, 20 years old. You know, the players might have been treating me differently because I was so young, Mm -hmm. but they were assholes, man. Mm. They were difficult after games, really tough, and the organizations were tough, and there was an arrogance and a masculinity and a bravado to all these professional sports. And I'm like, man, do I really want to do this for the next 50 years of my life? Do I want to work with these assholes? And I thought, man, you know what? I want to be the asshole.
0: Yeah, it's (laughs) it's much better to be (laughs) the asshole than to work with them.
1: 100%. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, at that point, I had really soured on sports. And um, I was going to San Diego State at the time. I dropped out of that. I had no you know, real guidance or anything like that. So one day I just asked the morning guy, I'm like, hey, can I come in on the morning show and just see what happens? I'll get your coffee, I'll put your carts away, your music away and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, come on in. So I came in, I was doing it for free. He put me on the air one day, I made him laugh. It was intoxicating for me. And that was it, man. That's where it wow. all started right there. Yep. That See, that that small piece and what you just said, I feel
0: like it's so lost today. You were willing to come in. You were willing to get coffee. You were willing to work for free. Everybody thinks oh, they're yeah. just going to walk in and uh-huh. get a bag yeah, and, and right. just be there already. But you were willing to do anything necessary to just get a shot at something that you felt like this can go somewhere. Yeah,
1: and I don't want to sound like the old guy, but I hear this from my peers quite a bit also. Like, this generation doesn't want to work for anything. And I don't know if that's true or not, but... For me, it was a payoff. Like, I wasn't getting paid with currency. I was getting paid with experience Mm. that I knew would pay off in the long run. Somehow, some way, I knew that. So it was no problem. Dude, when I tell you that I was coming into the radio station to do that sports report at seven in the morning and not getting paid for a 60 second sports report, and I was cruising in on my scooter, right? My scooter (laughs) that early in the morning to do a free sports report. That's the kind of dedication that I really had. I was focused. Wow. So when did you
0: have it in your mind that I want my own show, I want to go deep into this radio world?
1: It was a long time. I had been sidekicking and producing morning shows for a long time um, in Washington, D.C. And then sometime in D.C. after working with um, a guy named Jack Diamond, I figured, you know what? I think I I want to start. I I can host. I can host. I'm tired of making other people look good. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to do this thing myself. Um, so, I had only worked with Jack Diamond on morning radio, and I knew I was very focused on one way to do radio. And there was a guy working in Dallas at the time, a legend, uh, Kid Craddock. And he was known for being very spontaneous, very funny. And the guy I was working for was really, really good. It was a successful show, but he was very planned. He'd come in with a schedule, and that's the only radio I knew. And I'm like, I got to see how the other half lives. Mm. So this guy, Craddock in Dallas, would come in in the morning, Literally with two notes on the top of the Dallas Morning News. And he would do an entire show. He would improv around those two notes. That's it. That's it. Now, I don't know what he did the night before. I don't know if he had a schedule in his head. But the only thing I ever saw were two notes on that piece of paper. And he was so gifted and spontaneous that between working for Jack and working for Kid, it made me realize – I got to be somewhere in the middle, Mm -hmm. and that's what The Burt Show is today. Okay. Would you consider him like your biggest mentor? Oh, for sure. Um, He passed away at 54 years old. So I started syndicating The Burt Show, and we're skipping some years here also, but they were boring. Um, I started syndicating The Burt Show, and he and I went into business together. Mm -hmm. And the plan, the long-term plan was he was going to retire, and he thought, you know what? I'll give you all the cities that I'm in. You build your syndication network, I'll build mine, and then we'll put them all together when I retire, and you can have the keys to the kingdom. He had 79 stations at the time. Wow. Right? 79. I think we had Atlanta, Nashville, maybe one other at the time. So I was building. So, man, for him to have that kind of confidence in me. yeah. So we started building that together, and then he passed away on a golf course, man. Wow. And um, that changed everything. So then I bought his company um, with a guy, his right-hand man, and I thought we would still do the same thing. But business-wise, behind the scenes, we weren't a good match. Mm -hmm. So that's – he bought me out, and The Birch Show is owned strictly by me now. Wow, that's amazing. That's, well, there's a
0: lot of moving yeah, of parts course. there that I can't of get and to. I'm, yeah. And I'm curious about a lot of it. One of the things I want to know, well, first of all, while we're on Kid Craddock, tell me something that you took from him or that you mm. learned from him that has
1: been most valuable to you up until this point. So there's positives and negatives, I think, with every mentor you have, right? Mm-hmm. So the positive stuff that I took from him was um, let the people around you be stars. Mm. which is so, kind of what i like to do anyway i consider myself more of a point guard than a shooting guard right i mean i like you coming up i love throwing it to you i love you getting the punch line i love davi getting the punch line and Kristen getting the point i love all that right uh and the thing the other thing that i took from him was he was so extraordinarily gifted mo so good and so happy when he was entertaining But when he wasn't entertaining, and I'm not saying anything disrespectful, I used to say this to his face, when he wasn't entertaining, he just wasn't happy, man. Wow. Yeah, he just wasn't happy. And I walked away from that experience realizing that you could be really talented and really successful and not be happy. And that's when I sort of started to figure out that the only definition for me for success is happiness. That's it. It doesn't have anything to do with money. It doesn't have anything to do with having a whole bunch of cities. Um... It's all about just what your definition of happiness is. That's why I'm kind of bummed with you lately is because professionally, things are going so great for you, but you've told us on the air, man, you're just not happy. It's a a weird thing
0: because it's like in my life, my search of happiness has been to be okay professionally and financially. In my mind, once that happens, Mm -hmm. well, happiness just kind of falls in line and then you get there and that doesn't necessarily happen. Mm-mm. You fulfill that part of it, you yeah. get the professionalism, you get the finances, you're okay there. And then now, well, what do you blame for the fact that you're not happy? That is a hard place to be. And a lot of entertainers, especially comedians, find themselves in that position where, okay, when you're not entertaining, when you get off the stage and the smoke clears and now it's quiet and it's dark and you're alone,
1: who are you?
2: Right. Hey y'all, it's Katie here from The Bird Show. Pride unites us all and so does Atlanta United. That's why I'm giving you the chance to win a spot in The Bird Show's Pride Night Suite in celebration of Pride Month. That's right, join me and The Bird Show crew on Sunday, June 2nd, as Atlanta United takes on the fierce rival, Charlotte FC, with kickoff at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We need to beat Charlotte, so we will be loud and proud. Believe that. Oh, and by the way, did I mention Atlanta United is giving away a one-of-a-kind Pride-inspired towel, plus a $5 donation to Lost and Found Youth, an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides services to the LGBTQ plus youth, which is included with your Pride Night ticket pack. Remember, to enter for your chance to win a spot in the Bird Show's Pride Night Suite, head over to thebirdshow.com. To guarantee your tickets and pride towel, go to atlutd.com and click the Promotional Packs tab for more details. Can't wait to see you all there June 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Together, we are Atlanta. Atlanta United. See you there.
1: So many people never know. I think that we get our value out of who. We our entertainment personality is and not who we really are. It's one of the things that I'm most concerned about in a couple of years here when I give up radio is that I need to be sure. I've been Burt Show Burt for so long. Right. And it's been really nice, you know, like going to a restaurant, people come up, say, hey, what's up? Hey, you want a free appetizer? You want a free drink? Yeah. You know, as much as I've never taken advantage of that, I'm not going to lie to you. That's pretty nice, you know? But I'm curious, like when that goes away and I'm not Burt Show Burt anymore and I'm Burt, how am I going to do? Okay. And we're going to
0: get there because I'm curious, what are you going to do there? But before that, when I mean, you finally get to this point where you're getting your own show, right? Like you've had these these ambitions of, I don't want to co-host anymore. I want to be a host. And then it happens. Because I think a lot of times people see people in positions of success and they think that it was just easy. It was just like, I know I got this. It was always confidence. When you got to that position where they said, okay. You're going to have your own show. It's your show. It's all on you now. Responsibility is on you. What's going through your mind? How do you feel? How did you handle that? Were you worried? What was your, your mental state? I had to go
1: on anxiety meds.
0: <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I, really? I swear.
1: Well, let's get to the part where I'm even given a show, right? Uh huh. So, in our industry, at least, well, it's unheard of now, but back then, you couldn't, they wouldn't give you, they wouldn't take a chance on you if you didn't have your name on a show. Yeah. Right? Yep. So if you're just a sidekick just or just the co-host, you don't have a your name on the show, they don't feel like you're ready, right? So when I was working in Dallas, I realized I got to go somewhere to get my name on a show. So I went back to work with that dude in D.C. that I worked with for so long, even though I was reluctant to do it. But I made, he made a deal with me and it would be, it was always the Jack Diamond show. And I made him rename it The Jack and Bert Show. And it was a two-year contract. I knew I wouldn't be there real long. But once I had my name on the show, people all of all of a sudden were taking me seriously. At least I thought. Right. So now my contract is just about up. And I am looking for my first hosting gig. And still, man, nobody would touch me. This radio station here in Atlanta literally was a brand new station. And when I say brand new, they didn't have... Any signal, there was no antenna. This is the first time that this antenna was up. So if we found out that there were two people listening to the radio station, we were like, yeah, it's party time. two people. <laughs> right? But I think they started this station not really thinking it was even going to be successful because the signal was so small. And it was a dream of this guy, Brian Phillips, to bring a, a top 40 to Atlanta to compete against the big guy, which at the time was Star 94. And I think they just took a chance. I'm not really sure how much confidence they had in it, but he hired me mm-hmm. and he gave me the opportunity to hire anybody I wanted. And I remember those first like those first couple of days being on the air, finally doing it, like you're saying, and me really feeling insecure about it, clueless about it. So I walk into Brian's office and I said, You got to help me out, man. I thought I was ready for this. I don't think I'm ready for this. You hired the wrong guy, man. You hired the wrong guy. And he said to me, it was the most brilliant uh, and insightful managerial decision I have ever witnessed. He said to me, Bert, you've dreamt about doing this show for a long time. Go in there. Do whatever you want for the next couple of weeks. Don't worry about messing up. Don't worry about format. Don't worry about where the news is. Don't worry about how many songs. Don't worry. Just go in there and do your thing. Wow. Completely took the pressure off of me. It's unheard of today in radio. That might be the last time you'll ever hear a story like that, where a program director gives the talent as much leeway to fail as he can. Mm. The industry has changed so much that they want to see instant success, and they want to see money instantly. We had zero ratings for those first six or seven months, man, and then it took off. Um, But I was really honest with the audience, and I said, you got a bunch of people in this studio that have never done what we're doing right now. We suck, (laughs) And, and we know it. So just bear with us right now, and we laughed every time we failed, and the listeners, I think, gravitated towards the fear of having a new job and worried about being fired the next day. And we were so real. And I think we hit Atlanta at the right time because there weren't a lot of shows doing that. Uh, Our chief competitor certainly was not doing it. And it Mm -hmm. was just, we hit it at the right time where radio had just changed. Um, Entertainment had changed and it was more reality based. And we were as real as it gets. And look, Mo, there are still days where I come in and I'm like, I'm still not unsure. I'm now in our politically sort of. Heated atmosphere, yeah, there are days that there are things on the schedule that scare shit out of me, man, mm-hmm. that I still don't feel great about. You've told me that before, yeah, and, and it's it's it, I never see that in you,
0: I never see the worry or the panic i mean you you do very well with it, so when you tell me
1: that it's it surprises me, yeah, I mean um. I think as a leader, you can't really show that you're freaking out to everybody else on the show. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so, that's, that's
0: fair. <laughs> so I
1: try to hide it as well as I can. But there are times where, you know, I think I've pulled you guys aside and said, you know, going into this break, here's here's my fear here, guys. So let's keep it on this road right here. Yeah. It's just a different time now, too, you know. Today, as we're recording this, yesterday, a dude in Boston, right? He walks yeah. off the set. You yep. want to tell him about that? I mean, it's just a different atmosphere. What's his name? Maddie. Yeah, Is it- Maddie Siegel. He's a legend. He's been in Boston forty years or he, something like that. He's,
0: he's clearly a legend. Uh, he's been in Boston all those years, and he said he's number one. And he's the, he's the biggest radio mm-hmm. show in Boston's mm-hmm. history. But he said some things about Demi Lovato. At uh, I,
1: I guess he didn't really want to talk about it. He didn't want to embrace her desire to for her pronoun, right? Instead of being called she she wants to be called they. And I don't even know what he said, but this is getting back to our conversation a couple of seconds ago. Yeah. I don't know if that was on his schedule or not. It wasn't on ours, but I think we handled it with integrity. But- Things like that, man, can derail you in one second now if they're on the schedule. Look, we talk about race a lot, especially since you came on the show.
0: Yeah, we do. And it's 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 a touchy topic, man. It's But like you said, you handle it with integrity every time you come. But I don't know if that's as easy
1: to do as people think it is in, in radio. It's not. Um, I think radio is still trying to find its place when it comes to stuff like that. It's funny because they hire you to do a certain show and be different from all these other wacky morning shows that Mm -hmm. are really superficial. They hire you for that. You have a brand for doing that. And then when you do it, sometimes they're like, don't do that. Don't be as authentic as what got you to be successful because we're living in crazy times right now, man. And radio, I think, is having a tough time trying to figure out how to pivot. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of talent go over to podcasting.
0: So let's talk about that because I'm curious as to how you really feel about that as a radio vet because it's it's different times now. Do you miss the old radio days? Do you feel like there's good to the fact that it's changing and shifting into this podcast world? Like, how does that really make you feel?
1: Well, I'm concerned for radio because radio has been so good to me. I mean... Without radio, my kids don't go to the schools they go to. I don't have the clothes on my back that I have without radio. We don't have Burt's Big Adventure where we get to send kids down to Disney World that aren't feeling great. So it's given me so much throughout my life that it's concerning me because I don't know what radio is providing now for listeners that they can't get elsewhere. In other words – I think the brand for radio for the longest time has been a jukebox. Play that music, you know? Mm -hmm. Play the top 40 hits over and over and over and over (laughs) and over again, (laughs) right? And the um, emphasis hasn't been on personality. And our program directors and our managers have told our personalities, shh, be quiet, get in, get out, get back to the music. And these personalities that are really talented have no place to express themselves. It's not fulfilling to be on the radio because you can't be yourself. You're supposed to talk in these little bites, right? So podcasting is the place to go now. You want to be truly authentic and you want to truly be yourself and not have to worry about the FCC or complaints. Then that's what podcasting is giving really talented people. So I think radio is squeezing itself out of the entertainment world and Mm. it scares me.
0: Well, yeah. I and, can, I'm,
1: and I'm jumping on it. I mean, you, you have I, to. I started at Pioneer Network where we got uh, one really good show and we have yours also. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. We've got a couple of shows. Um, but that's where I really feel like I'm able now to make a difference is in the podcasting world now. And I think as I'm trying to figure out, not necessarily retire but reload i think that's the direction to go like watching you your star soar over the last couple of years is so fulfilling for me also man i appreciate that
0: i'm curious man i've always wondered deep down inside i feel like you guys would never actually say it if you felt this way but there are a certain class of what I consider to be legends in radio, right? You look at the Howard Sterns mm-hmm. of the world, yourself, Wendy Williams, Charlemagne the God. No, stop shaking your head. You I'm, I'm putting you in this class. You, you. I know okay. you won't do it, but All I'm right. doing
2: it. Okay. This,
0: this is not Burt doing this, this is me. It's not accurate, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. but, <laughs> hey. but the which I, What I know you will agree with is you guys come from an era where you had to get it out the mud with radio. You had to really climb the ranks mm-hmm. and fight and claw and to get to this Point of having a solid fan base and a steady show yeah and i'm I wonder how do you guys truly accept this era of where you can almost put a microphone in front of anybody and if they say a few things or if they offend the right people at the right time all of a sudden they have millions of followers and they have a podcast and they're considered a
1: radio personality does that how does that make you feel um I don't consider them radio personalities, but I think it's great. If there's an audience and you're gaining an audience, the Logan Pauls of the world, yeah. the Jake Pauls of the world, somebody loves that. Millions of people love that. It doesn't bother me that there are overnight sensations, man. But you can't call them radio people. Um, but I think that's because of radio. I think radio is pushing talented people away. So there are very few overnight sensations when it comes to radio. But there they are on, um, on YouTube – uh, there they are on uh, TikTok, not so much on podcasts. I mean, you and I are both figuring out together. It is hard to build an audience. It is on a podcast very much if you're not saying outlandish, stupid shit. Right, right. right. Uh, you're super talented, and I love your podcast. And the truth of the matter is, your numbers are are climbing up, but it's difficult to find an audience so i gotta beat somebody
0: up or do something i gotta piss somebody right. off talk about somebody's grandmother i don't know what i gotta
1: do we're <laughs> on it i mean we got a good system for you and it's working it's just that absolutely you don't have the kind of show that's going to be uh offending so many people that you're going to make national headlines this is not going to happen it's right. going to be a slow build which is the way we used to do it in radio it used to be honored to start slowly and build a loyal audience they'll never leave you We've got people that have been listening to the Bird Show for 20 years because they were there on the ground floor, right? So at least in the radio world, if you're an overnight sensation, you're not gonna you're not gonna last. Mm. Cause they don't love you. Mm-hmm. They like you. They might have come to the radio station for a cash giveaway or something outlandish one time. They don't love you. They're not connected to you. Um the way you're doing it, people are connecting to you. So you're finding an audience that will love you. So there's no overnight sensation in radio. So there's a balance there. Slow but steady will win the race in the end. I sure think so. But like you said, in other medium, it's different. YouTube, yeah. different. You got to do stupid shit.
0: 100
1: um, <laughs> And that's what sells. Yeah.
0: Well, I know there's a lot of people who uh, want to take part in the podcasting world. And mm-hmm. I heard you say something that was very profound once. I believe it was something to the extent of um, everybody can have a podcast, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Yep. And it can be a bad thing. Yep. Right? What, what do you think are some of the tools to success? Like, what makes Joe Rogan's
1: podcast so successful, in your opinion? Well, you kind of sort of have to take him out of the equation because he's an anomaly. Him and Howard Stern are an anomaly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lot of what makes a great radio personality. In fact, it's actually the same uh, as podcasting. It's connecting and being authentic with an audience. That's really what it's all about. It's content, it's delivery. Um, There are so many people, talented people, that are podcasting but don't have any zero structure at all. And this isn't brain surgery. This isn't rocket science. But you have to know how to tell a story. You have to know how to tease things, like what's coming up to keep people intrigued. You have to know what's a good story and what's not. Uh, A lot of guys get a podcast and they just assume that if it's happening in my life, It's going to be interesting to my audience, right? Nah, (laughs) Nah. shocker of the world. Nah, (laughs) it don't work like that. You're not interesting just because you're you, right? Um, So there's a lot of talented people that are going to fall that are already losing their podcast because they just don't get whatever that it is, and that's why I started consulting podcasts also because I saw so so much talent that just didn't know what to do with it. Mm. Like you came on. It was interesting watching you, your growth the last couple of years. Yeah. When you started your podcast, um, you're such a talented dude. You really are, and uh, supremely talented. And you started your podcast, and I think out of insecurity, you brought so many people Absolutely. in the studio. with. You. And it's the only thing you've ever known, really, yeah. also. And I used to listen to it and go, ah, I don't want to hear anybody <laughs> ah, I need to hear Mo, man.
0: <laughs> you don't need You and never, a whole
1: lot of other people, too. Yeah. yeah. I got that a lot. But there are so few Mo's that can do an hour of a podcast and be entertaining and understand where to edit and what's a good part and what's your B stuff and keep that off the podcast. They're few and far between. That's why I have a lot of confidence that your podcast is going to take off. We just got to get ears to it.
0: And I I thank you for that. And and people need to hear that because I was extremely insecure about that in the beginning. Bert had told me a million times, you can do this on your own. You'll be fine. And I didn't see it, man. I, I felt to myself I would not be interesting by myself for an hour. And since I've done it, I mean... It's been a whole new thing, and it's like a lot of other things in life. It's trial and error. You got to figure it out. You got to put yourself out there. You got to fail. You got to keep trying, and
1: eventually it started to work for me, but I did not see the vision you saw in the beginning. Is it so different? I mean, because I've seen your stand-up act, and you talk for an hour there, and you're funny for an hour, so it's weird for me to hear you say, I never saw that when you were doing it once a week in a club anyway. You know what? In the beginning, I thought it was different.
0: I'm like, no, I'm behind a mic. There's no one in the room. You know, on stage, I kind of feed off of the people and the energy. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I felt like I needed that. And in my mind, I kept telling myself, it's different. It's different. And I would tell you the same thing. But it's not the same thing. Until I finally found the groove of podcasting. And I got comfortable in being that transparent and that honest and by myself and in a room. And then it hit me. It started to click. It was like, he's right. It is the same thing. It's really not different. You know, I mean, you don't have the people to obviously mm-hmm. build off of, but the the preparation, the jokes, the thoughts, the it's the same thing. You just kind of have to get accustomed to doing almost new
1: material every week, which yeah. is not the easiest thing in the world. That must be really difficult. Like, I'm assuming, and I know nothing about the stand-up world, but when you write something and you go on stage with it, how long do you use that same material How many different times, whereas with podcasting, you're writing fresh content each and every week, and that's got to be super difficult. Well, that's the the difference, the key
0: difference in my own experience is I think typically comedians will use the same material for at least a year. They'll tour with the same material, and that's why they don't want you to have phones, and they don't tell you don't come to second shows. But one of the few things that people don't know about me is I've never told the same joke on a stage twice. Is that right? Never in my life. Really? I mean, I've never done it. Every single show I've ever done, to this day, I have done new jokes every single time.
1: And is that because doing the same jokes would bore you as a performer? That's exactly what it is. Uh, okay. It's
0: not like uh, people have taken it. A lot of comedians have taken it like I'm trying to outdo them. And it's not that. I I don't know how to get up there and deliver a joke I've already delivered. I told it. It's over. I'm on to something different in my life. I feel like if I'm giving it to you brand new and fresh, it's going to feel Brand new and fresh. I don't want to keep telling the same jokes. And I thought I wasn't capable of that. Like, who can legit have a one-hour stand-up show every week that's worth coming to? I didn't even think that I could do that. But when you put me in a position to try it, because you know I like a challenge. I jumped out there and I tried it. And I would never go back.
1: So do seasoned comics that I'm sure you've talked to before... Dude, they say, dude, you're wa- you're working way too hard. Like, that's not, you can't work at that kind of pace. That's exactly
0: what they say. Do that. you're going to burn out. They're yeah. like, I don't care how talented or how gifted you are. At some point, you are going to burn out. You're trying to do two radio shows. You're trying to do your own podcast. You're trying to do stand-up. You're going to burn out. But I literally pull my jokes from life. That's why I don't see myself ever burning out. I mean, this is everyday Stuff I can pull joke. I'll be at the elevator, wait, waiting for mm-hmm. for the elevator with one other person. They'll say something. I'm like joke. Yep. I pull comedy from everything. Yep. I pull material and content
1: from absolutely everything. So there is so, so long as I'm living, there's always new content. Yeah, I I don't think people understand how difficult that is to do. Like to have your content antenna up all the time, all the time, and constantly writing notes to yourself. I do it all the time. Also, yep. um. If I just have a fleeting thought about something, it will become a story. Yeah, it is. Even if it's not real. <laughs> yeah. I'll make it sound real on the radio. <laughs> and you, you're going to lose friends. You, yeah. might, you might lose. <laughs> you, yeah. Some family members might be upset with you. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Because you and I haven't really talked about this, man. No. So um, who was, was it your dad, the first one to get really pissed off about yeah. you sharing so much on the radio? Yeah.